It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are broadcasting from the Morton studio. And on Farmer Fridays, here's how it works. If you're new to the show, we have our phone lines open the entire show. We take your phone calls and questions if you want to just talk about what you're doing right now on the farm or if you want to ask an agronomic question or, or discuss a big topic. Hey, this is your chance to do it. We would love to engage with you. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. We're also taking emails all through the show, and, and uh, of course, we get emails uh, nonstop here, which is which is cool. There's a, a lot of good ideas out there and a lot of good questions. It's radio at agphd.com if you're interested in sending us an email. Or here's a creative thing that a lot of folks have done is email us. Uh, hey, here's our, here's my soil test. I'm going to call you on today's show and talk to you about it. Or here's a manure sample. Or here's um, you know the situation I've got just to give us some more background. That's a good way to, to get a large piece of information across to us uh, as well. So anyway, uh, it's Farmer Friday. We'll, we'll get started into uh, some of the emails and questions that have come in uh, as, as we go. Uh, I'm going to dive right into emails here, Janelle, if you want to throw up that. It's the mailbag! All right, first one comes in from Nelson, uh, who says, Hey, awesome information on how farmers are reducing erosion. We are in Georgia, and my parents and grandparents believed in terraces. They are just all over in our area in an effort to reduce erosion. Hey, Nelson, thanks for the for the comment. That is a big thing. And I think as farmers, too often we just take all this information that we know for granted that, oh, everybody knows about that. No, people don't. They don't. I know I, I can speak firsthand with our farm. We've got terraces. Some are, are uh, uh, big terraces. Some are, are just drive-over terraces where they, they're just little bumps in the road, you know, and not a real severe slope. But this is something I know the, the previous generation on our farm and, and actually my grandpa's generation, too, uh, really got into doing everything they could to to fix all the errors that, that were being made with all the tillage that was being done. And, I mean, I mean, they didn't have the options we've got now or the equipment, so they had to do whatever they could. And terraces were certainly a great way to, to slow some things down. So we get questions from people, from neighbors and, and just people in town that happen to be out in the country. What What's going on there? Why, do, why have you got that going on in your field? And reducing erosion is a big thing. All right, got another comment on the erosion topic. This one came in from TF, who says, you guys are doing a great job on covering this erosion topic. And uh, one thing that I noticed recently uh, that I didn't see as much of growing up is using corn for windbreaks. I end up driving between Winnipeg and Minneapolis a bunch and noticed strips of corn plants on the outsides of fields planted into soybeans or alfalfa. I know there are small sections out there for hunters, but 16 rows around an entire field is a heck of a way to stop wind and soil erosion. Uh, and, hey, if someone else has got an erosion problem, nice way to catch soil coming in from someone else's field. You know, there there are a lot of different approaches that, that farmers will take. And when we think about strips, uh, we were talking about strip tillage this week as well. That's one of the things that we've really noticed a difference on our farm. And also just the w the different ways that farmers are doing strip tillage. We've got a chopping corn head on the combine. And so we, we get residue in relatively small pieces out there. And it lays down really nice. Um, you know, just the one pass you're heading through the combine is taking care of chopping up stalks and everything. But if we can leave those stalks taller... 
it has really helped. So when I say taller, it, it's like 18 inches. And Brian and I were debating this one time, and he's like, no, you're crazy. We don't leave stocks that tall. And and so I brought the tape measure out to the field. I'm like, okay, here you go. Yeah, it's not that tall in every spot. I mean, we get enough rolly terrain that there's going to be spots where it gets cut down a lot lower than that. But where we can, we like to leave those stalks about 18 inches tall. And then you've got nice wind breaks all the way along to catch your residue too. Because we often see, you know, corn leaves and husks and those kinds of things just blowing all over. So yeah, we're, we're trying to do what we can to catch it. I, I know what you're saying, TF, here in your comment is that that we've got dedicated rows that we just leave the whole plant out there but uh, there are also ways to do it just with the little bits of the stock that are out there so you can still harvest all the grain if you want and and just leave the stalks just a little bit taller that uh, we found 18 inches to be enough to make a huge difference without being so much that it creates a problem for us next year uh, I get this one from YP who says, uh, what is your water source that you're using on your farm? Well, uh, interesting enough, YP, ours just is rain. That's it. We don't have irrigation. And we do have some drainage tile underneath our, our soil. So we've installed perforated tile or perforated hoses underneath our our ground about three feet deep and that is not to add water to the situation it's to help us control our water table and make sure we've got enough oxygen in the soil so we aren't actually adding any irrigation water with that we we know that there is some of that out there in in agriculture where farmers will sub irrigate and and push water back through tile lines or um, subsurface drainage hoses those kinds of things but not for us. It's We're just counting on catching some rain. So that's that's all there is to it. I know we talk a lot about that water quality, and we actually get quite a few samples of irrigation water, and and uh, even if farmers are irrigating out of a river or lake or something like that, get, get water source samples here. And we're always looking at those to see well, what nutrients are in there because whatever that water is that you're using for irrigation – that's what your soil is going to become. So if the water is very high pH or has a lot of salt or has a lot of sodium, those types of things, you're going to be adding that to your field. So we do talk about that quite a bit, but nope, YP, we have no irrigation. I wish wish we did. We've had a couple of, a couple of really dry years here. All right, it is Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. I've got an uh, intimidating stack of emails here. I don't know if I'll be able to get through all those today, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot to try and get through as many of those emails as we can. So uh, if you've got a quick question for us or if you want to have a long debate about a, a big ag topic, we're sure open today. Again, it's 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. This is a wake-up call. 
for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back to Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in. Or you can always send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, let's uh, get to the phone lines to get started here. We've got Robert over in Illinois with us. Robert, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on. Oh, Janelle, I've got a, just a second, Robert. Uh, there we go. Uh, sorry, Robert, having a little trouble with the controls here, pulling you pulling you on there. Hopefully, hopefully your day's going smoother than mine. Nope. So it's a, it's like planners and everything else and monitors. When everything works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's a pain. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that is for sure. Well, and it's changed, hasn't it? Getting the planner ready now, it's as much about the control systems as it is about the the iron in the back. Exactly. That's why I tell people, you know, it's hard to go from say green star to what I, we run is case stuff and the Trimble systems and AFS. It's hard to, you know, go from like an iPhone to an Android phone. Once you learn something and you got to train all your employees and everything else, it's hard to switch. So you're pretty much pot committed. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, and that is one of the challenges in our industry and it's, it's no different when you start looking at uh, using Apple, like you say, Apple products versus others. It's like, ah, and no, I wish it was all compatible and, and easy to jump back and forth because planting season here is just right around the corner and it happens all in a hurry. What goes in the ground first in your part of Illinois? Do you guys put corn in the ground first? Do they put soybeans in first or does it all happen at the same time? So I am 35 miles east of Peoria, or 25 miles north of Bloomington Normal. So between the I-70 and I-80 corridor, pretty much right in the middle. And we put beans in first. Um, we've done that for about the last four years um, and have basically had very good yields and had a couple challenges we plant, but not bad. But the big thing, it keeps us from trying to mud in our corn. We, we can basically pick and choose when we put our corn in the ground. Um, and we've learned because of seed treatments and everything else, and I call goop in the beans. Um, we put enough stuff on our beans that they're a lot more hardy than my dad. My dad would have never, ever thought about putting beans in first. Um, but it's paid off for us and even no-till or work ground, it's working good here in central Illinois. 
Yeah, I'm struggling with my brother and getting him into this concept too, Robert, because we've done some soybeans early, and man, it it works. You get some more yield out of them. There's no doubt about that. And I mean, don't mean to plant corn late, but like you say, it keeps uh, keeps you honest that you're not going to be pushing it and mudding stuff in going too early because. That was one of the other challenges I had with my brother is, man, he, he's not one to mud it in. But, man, if it's close, he's ready to go, and, and I'm not. Yeah, one of the challenges we have here is our planting date by RMA is not till April 20th, okay? Um, and a lot of guys will want to run about the 10th. And, well, I could tell you Decatur around ADM, they'll run corn at May, May 20th if they can, you know. Um, that's where we're just far enough north that maybe the tenth would be pushing it for corn for us. But you know, if it's fit, guys want to run. You know, they've been cooped up all winter. You can only do so much stuff in the shop, okay? And and it, you know, when it's time to go, it's time to go. But there are times where you can hurt yourself by you know tearing up your side walls and hurting things. And yeah, we've been very fortunate and try to pick when we can. And then, the other thing is the size of planters and equipment that we have today. You know, when we were doing it with a six row or an eight row, you know, you can only get across so much in a day. Now we can you know, fly. So, yeah, that's for sure. We can really take advantage when the conditions are right. Uh, okay. So a lot of, a lot of craziness going on, Robert, right now in, uh, the grain markets, livestock industry, uh, biofuels, everything else. What are the big topics that you're looking at and, and saying, man, we're, we're missing the boat here. We're, we're not doing it quite right. Well, I could tell you, I, I thought I knew a lot about Ukraine. Okay. And their ag, and their ag industry until Putin went in, okay, because um, I didn't realize that Ukraine exported more wheat than Canada and the United States combined, and or I didn't realize how big their sunflower oil industry was and sunflowers, because they have 54% of the world's soybean oil um, in Ukraine, and that affects biodiesel and uh, soy oil especially, palm oil, can- uh, canola oil. It uh, We're totally global, no doubt about it. Okay, whether it's South America, Argentina, weather down there affecting our, our commodities, whether it's Ukraine, Russia, you know, India, different places, China. That's the thing that got me is this whole the upset in the apple cart with, with Ukraine. And I guess I, I thought I knew a lot about global agriculture. And I am telling you, I'm learning every day and I don't know very much. So. Now, Brian and I were talking about this, Robert. If this, uh, if this whole war would have started a month later, I mean, they totally would have destroyed any kind of spring planting market. Uh, and who knows when it'll be over and if guys will even be able to do anything. It sounds like a lot of a lot of people are just getting out of the country and, and trying to save their hides for right now. Do you think they're going to have a crop this year? Well, the wheat crops in, from what I can tell, okay, because they plant a lot of spring, you know, fall wheat like we do. And we don't grow a lot of wheat, no, or at least where I'm at. Now, you get to southern, south of Springfield, there's a lot of wheat, okay? What I'm worried about is is what's going to happen with the corn crop that goes in, like Central Illinois, where most of their corn's planted, okay, in that corridor. Who's going to be around the left to run the planters, okay? If you're over 16 years old, you're 16 years old, you're supposed to be fighting the Russians, okay? So who's going to be around to run the equipment, okay? That's my thing. Who's going to get the corn in the ground? Can they get fertilizer? Can they get? I mean, they're fighting. I, not granted, their fertilizer is a lot closer to because a lot of it's right there. But are they going to be able to get it and get it on? You know, that's what's got the market on. So, you know, it's yeah. Busy. yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I know we've been uh, uh, been too close to some conflict zones before, and I've I've uh, heard heard from farmers who have been fired at while they were in their tractor, and it's like, okay, I like farming a lot, but I don't like farming that much. 
Well, you know, and then you hear about boats being, you know, bombed and, and going out in Black Sea, you know, that are going to the bottom, okay? I don't know what was on them yet, okay? But you hear about that, too, and that affects trade, obviously. Um, and all the boats that are stacked up, we thought it was just, you know, on the west side of L.A. trying to get containers off, or down in South America, you know, trying to get full, full of beads. But now you think about it over there, too, and you're like, you know, what's the person to do? So, yeah, well, definitely upset, upset the apple cart, as my dad would say. Yeah. Now, you mentioned this oil market, and uh, you see what fuels are doing, of course, and and then you think about biodiesel and, and biofuels. Where where do you see that market going? I mean, especially with all of what's happening with Russia and, and Russian oil as well. Well, the good news is, again, you know, we can produce soy oil here, okay, in the United States, okay, that helps our, our help lower the dependence on foreign oil, okay? Um, it's clean, okay, it's good for the environment, it's good for the farmer, um, and we are producing, okay? We need to get more volumes out of the epi okay one's called rvos um and we, hopefully we'll get that released here in the next month or so even though it's only a year behind being released those numbers um but eventually epa is going to get them out and they will grow okay which will help the industry and help the help the you know the farmer and the economy here in the united states okay but it, it can't come quick enough in my opinion because you know big demand for diesel fuel at least from the farmer and agriculture is going to be happening here in about two weeks whether it's app fertilizer application, you know, tender trucks, you know, com uh, planters, uh, field working equipment, there's going to be a lot of field moving if it hasn't moved already, if we can even get it. The good news is our tanks are full currently, so at the farm. So. Well, with when it comes to biodiesel, what has been the holdup? Is it just that our government wants cheap food? Why would we not do this? It, it runs great. I know through our, our vehicles, man, it's been it's been great fuel. We we've done really well on it. We like you say we can produce it right here. What what's been the holdup? Has it just been the oil lobby? Has it been trying to keep food cheap, or is there something else? It's been a combination of things. Um, I mean, originally, before we had a thing called BQ9000, which is a quality standard across the industry for producing quality biodiesel, okay? You could get away with putting, I shouldn't say sludge, but there was it would plug filters and that kind of stuff. So the early adopters got burned a little bit, okay? And you know how, you know how, you know us farmers, we get burnt once, we're not coming back to it, okay? But with BQ9000, we've been running up to 20% biodiesel in every piece of equipment we have, our trucks, tractors, you know, combines, you name it, okay, year-round, okay, here in central Illinois, 20%-wise, and we've had no problems. Now, we've been having to take care of our filters and make sure tanks are clean and that kind of stuff, um, and we've had no problems at all. But I also have a supplier of, of my diesel supplier is very pro-biodiesel, uh, and sometimes you know, an extra step where they have the supplier or the blend rack has to go get it. Okay. That's been a hindrance too. Okay. If it's hard to get, or they just don't want to, you know, have another product. Okay. Yeah. And we, we've been lucky too. Our, our local supplier has just been all over biofuels from day one. And that's, but it's made a big difference for our farm and for our local community too. Hey, Robert, we got to run. It's been great talking to you. Uh, good luck here as you head into spring and get started planting those soybeans. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like boxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use Fierce Herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Taking your calls and agronomic questions here in the Morton studio at 844-844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head back to those phone lines. We've got Ryan with us over in Michigan. Ryan, how's it going? Pretty good. What's the winter been like over there? Have you guys had quite a few warm-ups like we have, or have you been, been socked with snow? Um, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, we came through, we've had a couple snowstorms, but we've had a fair amount of warm-ups right before the snowstorms where we got, each snowstorm came with its uh, half-inch of rain before it switched over to snow. And so we had those warm rains that kind of been tough on some of the beet piles for storage, but 
we're getting through it. <laughs> you know, people do ask about those sugar beet piles uh, sitting outside in the winter, and I, and I realize they can only process so many beets at a time. What are some of the keys there? Is it keeping them dry? Is it keeping them cold? Is there any other trick to it? Um, mostly our concern is mostly the condition they go in when we pile them, when they're harvested. If we can harvest them in a good condition and, and get most of the dirt off them before it's piled, they'll handle a pretty good winter. Um, it's those warm rains that filter the, the dirt off of the beets and, and rinse that dirt down to the bottom that starts creating some hot points. But fortunately, most of our piles are all, uh, aerated with tubing and stuff. So they keep pretty close eye on them and, uh, are usually able to extend that quite a bit, but this year we had quite a few extra beets in our area that uh, we had to pile many where we could, and we kind of ran out of venting. Sure, sure. So what is the sugar beet industry like in Michigan right now? Is it a good year? Is it a profitable venture to be in sugar beets, or do you wish you were just raising corn and soybeans? Well, it's kind of, it's always been one of those tough subjects for us because it's a, uh, we kind of always been honored to grow sugar beets, but when when corn prices and and all the the other big three come up where they're at now, it, it makes it tough just because there's it's already such a high input labor intensive crop that uh, it always makes you start looking at your crop plan of, of what you should be putting in and, and what you shouldn't, and and sometimes that that whole labor thing comes into play. It gets pretty tough these last couple of years to uh, get good help and get enough of it. Sure. Sure. Okay. So if you had to, if you had to say over a 10 year average, how many years out of 10 is sugar beets your most profitable crop? And then what would you say about corn and soybeans and any other crop that you grow out of those 10 years? What would be your, your, uh, how many years it would each be your most profitable crop? Um, I'd say, Probably close to that seven or eight years out of ten, sugar beets are our most profitable crop. Okay. Um, it it takes these pretty good rallies for the corn and soybeans and the wheat to to uh, compete with it, but it's only been these last few years, some of the uh, through the leaf spot years and those the high inputs on fungicide stuff that kind of always in on if we have. If you get fortunate enough and only have to spray them four or five times, or if it's a real strange summer and a lot of warm overnight temperatures, you, that uh, care for the leaf and everything starts really adding up, and it's kind of one of those you just have budgeted in for if necessary. <laughs> sure, sure. What What is the big disease? Is it Cercospora, or is it something else? Yep, it's a Cercospora leaf spot is, is what we've been usually battling the most. And then uh, the second is usually then the, the Rhizac, the, the root rot. Yeah, yeah. Yep, well, that makes sense. Uh, that, I think that's pretty common in, in sugar beet growing areas. Okay, well, you, what you said there made a lot of sense to me, Ryan, because uh, I would say being a primarily corn and soybean farmer, we're like, well, you know, two or three years out of 10, we can actually make some decent money. So we really got to be smart yep. about how we manage it in between. <laughs> so I like yep. the diversification. Yep. Yes, yeah, that's what, we, we like it for, I mean, it's a it's tough on the ground and everything, but it also is it's another crop to rotate and uh, 
one of those crops that it's kind of a small area, so it's uh, take a lot of pride in it. Now, how often can you put sugar beets back in a field? Do you have to have one year in between? Do you have to have a two or more years in between rotations? Um, you like to have more. Usually, we go on like a three company wide. They like to keep it three years apart just to keep that disease pressure down. Um, most anybody that has enough ground to rotate on has now been stretching that to four years or even five. There's been some real good data on that, uh, just giving the ground that much more time to heal up from those sugar beets and the extra traffic and the high tonnage coming off of it. But, uh, it, it pays to have those extra crops rotated in between, especially if you can follow a small grain with the beets. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, there's a lot to, to know about all these different crops, but it's awesome to have that opportunity to do it. I, I know people sometimes will say, well, how come they aren't grown on a, a broader ge- or in a broader ge- geographical footprint? But there just aren't beet plants all over. So there's, there's a lot of things that go together to get one of those plants in your area. And then it takes a lot of farmers, of course, to uh, to support that plant and, and keep it going. All right, talk to us a little bit about your corn, because everybody's so nervous about these fertilizer prices. Have you got this all figured out, how you can put corn in, get decent yield, and not, not go broke on fertilizer? <laughs> well, we are we, we chose not to change our crop plan. We're, uh, we're going to grow what we had originally planned on for growing, and... Uh, we have been the last few years with uh, doing, learning all this strip till and stuff and, and nutrient placement and how much we can reduce it. We've kind of lowered the amount of dry fertilizer, P and K, that we've been using in the fall. So we were already saving a little bit there. And uh, so we ended up, we did cut back a little bit more. I'd say we were down to that, oh, about 40% on given intake of which farms and what their uh, production history is well what what they're capable of pushing out for high yields and uh gonna split apply the nitrogen and uh hope that we don't have a lot of drying costs to keep that that down a little bit (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's always interesting well i like what you said with the strip till and and we've kind of found the same thing if we put the nutrients close to where the root system is going to be uh, and I like that much better than just some guys will say, oh, I can just put a bunch in furrow. No, you can't. You, you can easily overdo that. But with strip till, you can spread it out right. just a little bit. And, man, I love our root mass, and I can get by with a little bit less fertility than, than I can if I'm broadcasting out there. So that, that makes a big deal. Yep. What about on the soybeans? Are you are you strip tilling the soybean ground, too? Yeah, yep, we're stripped till in the soybean ground, too. Um, we do have some light, sandy soil where we can get away with, uh, like, a fall strip till on the corn stalks and then go right in and stale seed bed into them. Uh, but uh, we we do, usually, if the beans are following our sugar beets, we got to strip it, uh, at least to fill in those lifter wheel ruts to get her back to a flat so the platform will sit flat for harvest. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's there's always the, the challenges there. And, and yeah, it, it's nice having multiple crops, but then again, all right, when we're coming out of this part of the rotation, we got to do things just a little bit different to make it right. Yep. <laughs> what, what were harvest yeah, in conditions? In a perfect world, all the fields would be the same acreage, and you'd just be able to follow a strict 
crop rotation. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, and and was it muddy at sugar beet harvest time? I know you said you had extra beets out there. The tonnage must have been just fantastic. Yeah, Louis. Really, the water turned on in the fall, and that's what really pushed some tonnage and a lot of extra beets. And uh, we did end up having uh, a forty-acre field that, um, if if we weren't wouldn't have been forced into having to harvest it at that time, we we did make quite a bit of tracks and stuff. But it's going to go to soybeans, so we we leveled out the ruts the best we could last fall, and then was just letting it hope freeze out the best we can, and hoping to get a little bit of spring tidying up work for for that field to kind of nurse her back <laughs> yeah that's the challenge of some of these crops when it's go time it's go time like you said you got to put those beets up right or it's going to be a, a problem in storage well ryan great talking to you really appreciate having you on good luck here as you head into the spring yes and you guys too thank you you bet thanks we'll be right back after this Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. 
Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Of course, you can also show up in person to some of our events here that we have from time to time. You can find all those details at agphd.com. Uh, we got our friend Gordon on right now over in Indiana. Gordon, how are you doing? Doing fine. How are you, Darren? Oh, not too bad. You know, it's just not that far a drive over to South Dakota, is it? Uh, actually, I was almost there about two weeks ago, and it was a long drive, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, it. especially in the winter. The summer, it's not so bad. Summer's not so bad. You can look at a lot of crops right. out there. My my wife, I'm always looking at fields and stuff whenever we drive anywhere, and she's like, man, how do you find anything interesting to look at when there's nothing growing out there? And I'm like, well, I'm really interested to see what they did for tillage and see what other practices that guys have done out in the field. And I'm always comparing notes to see, is there something, some spot where we can get better? at what are you guys working on what are you trying to get better at on your farm well this morning we got the uh, barley top dressed and we worked really diligently on making sure we had the micronutrients and whatever we needed there and this afternoon i've been working on a strip till unit with the uh, privilege of the headsets on and listen to ag phd and neil kinsey on a repeat how's that there you go there you go that'll that'll keep you hopping well i love that you're you guys are focused on your soils and and trying to get everything right and obviously this isn't your first year farming but what have you seen when when you've been changing things in in fields out there and and what kind of differences do you see when you get a stressful year like we've had uh, the last couple of years have been some some stressful times for sure well, I think the thing that uh, we've kind of taken some ideas from you guys, but we're working on the micronutrients, but uh, this is our second year involved in the strip till. And so we really think that we're concentrating on that and maybe we can uh, cut our fertility rates and still not lose any yields because of what we're doing with the banding thing. So uh, that's pretty exciting, actually, in the times we're on. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I can I can hear it in your voice and and just uh, the enthusiasm and excitement there. That's that's pretty cool. So you're working on the strip till machine. What I, I guess what did you learn after year one that you're changing going into year two here? Well, I, I guess it's a good leading question to you. One of the things that we seem to be short on the tissue samples a little bit is calcium and manganese, and so the manganese we know we have to put on foliar. But uh, looking for an opinion, what would you think about, uh, or have you guys tried any Pell lime in the strip to maybe make, our, our pHs are fine, but we're just trying to be able to make that calcium more available possibly. Yeah, available calcium is a big deal. And if you're listening to Neil Kinsey, you're going to have hours and hours of calcium <laughs> talk. No doubt about that. Well, and here's the thing. Two of the guys that I respect the most in, in uh, soil fertility, one of them is Dick Goff. He used to work for Midwest Labs and did a lot of education about what we really needed. And he still, I, I don't know exactly how old Dick is. He's got to be around 80, it'd be my guess. Uh he just always would talk about calcium and what a big difference it made. And, and even after he retired, he said, Darren, it's still about calcium. If I would get calcium out of my lawn, he said, I use gypsum and ammonium sulfate down my lawn. 
And I just, I have the best lawn in town. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. And he's like, yeah, let's talk more about calcium. So about any time we talk calcium, I know Dick would want to be on the show. And of course, Neil is always interested in a calcium talk. And I think, well, wait a second. The two guys that I know that have been in this industry the longest, that have worked with you know, the, the most successful farmers out there and just had a great practice in multiple crops, they both focus on calcium first. So I think you're right on the money, Gordon, that if we're not getting enough available calcium out there. And if what Neil says is true, that all the nutrients other than boron get in on the back of calcium, get into the plant, then we have to have available calcium out there. So yeah, putting a little bit of available calcium is big. And one thing I took out of um, Neil's talk this year was magnesium, another secondary nutrient that that in some cases we've got some really high magnesium soils where we farm that that putting just a little bit of available magnesium out there early on early in the season could make a big difference for us that's one of the things I'm looking forward to trying a little bit of and and just trying to learn more about that one so yeah if you don't need lime for pH adjustment you know there are a number of different ways you can go Pelletized lime might be one of them. I know uh, AgriLiquid has a product called Liberate CA. Uh, it says Liberate Calcium, and that one has been uh, a good one too. I've done a little bit of work with that one at varying rates on the farm, and uh, for you know maybe a quart or a few quarts, we can get an early season boost of available calcium. We've got high calcium soils for the most part, so you would think we'd be okay, and, and we've gotten a lot of those really high numbers down into a proper range now where it should be available, but, but a little boost like that could be a, a good thing too. Well, I, that, are you, I mean, that we're really are working on the calcium, and I guess the other thing that we're short in our area is the sulfur, and so we think we're going to try some elemental sulfur in the strip maybe to uh, look into that as a every-year application. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it, well, almost everybody we talk to is, is short on sulfur, or we hear this, hey, I put on more sulfur this year, and man, did I get a yield response. I, I thought that's pretty cool that even some of the guys, uh, there have been a couple of university guys that are still holding on to some old, old data where, oh, we just don't get any uh, result on sulfur. Well, if you look back and you go 20 years back and 30 years back, of course you don't because you had so much pollution and so much free sulfur. It's just totally different. I, I think if you're looking at any sulfur data that's not in the last five years, maybe 10, that it's worthless that we've had a huge change in our environment and we've got to recognize that. And as farmers, we've got to put a lot more sulfur out. So I would say this, Gordon, as you're doing your sulfur trials, just try in a few little areas putting on more. And maybe it's not elemental. Maybe it's just sulfate, uh, an ammonium sulfate. Or if you need calcium and you need sulfur, maybe do some gypsum or something like that, depending on what's available and what's reasonably priced in your area. But do some additional sulfur. I, I, I'll say this. So sitting in, in Neil Kinsey's talk this year, I, I was over talking to my brother just a little bit. And Neil was talking about sulfur. And um, and a minute later, I, I get a text on my phone from Brian. It's like, yeah, we got it. We got to do even more. Let's let's get a little more out there. He, he was getting motivated on that sulfur talk, too. Oh, very good. Hey, one other quick question. Uh, do you what level of metal axle would you run on your soybean seed? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, 
I can't tell you the exact rate off the top of my head that we're running, but I will say this. Uh, I know that when you talk to many of the seed companies, they don't want to tell you what rate they're using a metal axle. And part of this dates back a few years where we started seeing some issues with metal axle. Uh, guys were having problems with it based on storage temperature because, well, everybody's familiar that, well, you got to be careful if it's going to be below 40 degrees out and you're worried about freezing and that kind of stuff for, for storage of some products. Metal axle is one that if it gets really warm, it can have a bunch of floaters in there and have some problems. So the, many of the guys were having problems because metal axle was, was out and it was, it was just flat too hot. And maybe it was even in some of the transport trucks and so forth, moving it around our country or warehouses where it got too hot, but it, it was too hot and there's a lot of problems with metal axle. So companies looked at well, what's my alternative to metal axle, or can I just cut the rate and try to avoid some of those problems? It, it's not free. It still costs money. And so there's some companies, of course, that want to cut the rate just to cut their cost. So yeah, it, it's different. And we're looking at a couple of other alternatives. So we've been looking, we've been using Ethiboxum now for a number of years. That's in Tigo from Valent. But now there's a new product that Syngenta has called Viantis. And that one looks really good on Pythium as well. So if you've got Pythium issues and you need a little bit more help on Phytophthora, uh, Metal Axle is great. Just use it towards the high end of the, the use range. Uh, if you want to switch and, and add in an Ethiboxum or a Viantis to a low rate of Metal Axle, I, I think I'm fine with that too. What we're going to do is a little bit of at least two modes of action. I don't think you need Viantis and Antigo. Uh, they're they're kind of competing in the market for that, but they are different modes of action. And it's pretty exciting to see some of the improvements in control. So if you're not adding one of those two, make sure you stay towards the high end on Metal Axle. Okay, very good. Thank you, Darren. Well, thanks so much, Gordon. Good luck to you here. I know you guys are super busy heading into spring, but it sounds like you're already getting some work done, so that's, that's a plus to buy a little bit more time later on. So good luck to you, and stay safe. All right, be safe. Thank you. You bet. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines group 14 and group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Louisiana on the phone lines today, but I'm heading there in person next week. Uh, we got David here right now. David, how you doing? Good afternoon. I'm doing good. Well, I'm heading to New Orleans next week for Commodity Classic, but uh, I'm betting that might not be the best part of Louisiana. I'm betting get out in the country is a lot better. I believe I would agree with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) So what's happening out in the country in Louisiana? If I happen to escape the city and can get out and drive around in the country a little bit, what am I going to see? Well, you're going to see out on our farm right now, we just finished uh, side dressing and top dressing our wheat. And uh, probably by the end of next week, when you're in New Orleans, I'm going to start planting corn. Outstanding. Ah, I'm so jealous. I wish we were a little closer, but I'll say this. We have no snow right now, David. So if we can luck out here and uh, keep this warm weather coming, uh, we're only a little over a month away. We're about five weeks away from when our crop insurance date is here. So we might not be too far behind you. I don't think you will be too far behind it. This has been an unusual winter for us. Uh, it's been a dry winter for us, which is um, that's unheard of around here. The wheat looks extremely well. I'm pleased with the way it looks, and the prices are looking good too. Oh yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Okay, so when do you harvest wheat in Louisiana? About the second week in May, we'll start. Okay, okay, and then yeah. Double crop beans right behind it. Oh, awesome! All right, so when you're planting the the corn right now, what maturity is that corn going to be? Anywhere from 115 to 118 day we have this year. Okay, 115 day to 118 day corn, and so you, you pretty yeah. much get done planting corn. It won't be too long. You'll be harvesting wheat. What about uh, after the wheat? Then are all your beans double crop beans, or do you have some that you'd be planting uh, kind of full season beans too? 
Yeah, the, we'll, we'll have some full-season beans, but uh, the majority this year will be double crop just because we have more wheat than normal, I should say, um, which may be a good thing the way it looks. But we're going to have a, a few hundred acres of a, a full-season crop and on beans, and, of course, we want to get those planted in April. Okay. Okay, so full, full season in April. And what maturity do you do with the April ones? Are you in the fours? Are you planting early stuff like that, or are you doing a little bit longer? We're doing uh, mid-fours, like four fives, and then when we get a little bit later uh, with the beans, we'll do some early fives. Okay. I mean, behind the wheat, I'm sorry. Yeah, so are the early fives yeah. then determinate beans, or are they indeterminates as well? It could be a mixture. Okay. <laughs> a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, we have some determinant, some indeterminate. Depends on when you know the fives, and then we go up to four fives too. Gotcha. Um, excuse me, five four. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the guys in the north don't really get that. That that. Uh, wait a second. So you're planting later, and you're going to plant a later maturity, but it's different. They just have a little different growth pattern, and uh, to get some yeah. decent height to them and so forth. Is it mostly around just getting some decent height to them, or uh, is it that you know we're going to have uh, the day length's going to start shortening, and you don't want to trigger flowering too soon? Why Why do you guys go with determinant or later beans? It's just to give you a, a mixture. Uh, you want to spread your season out for us down here. That's that's what I like to do. It's just to give you a spread out season. Um, I have good luck with both of them, to be honest with you. Okay. And, and last year was a prime example. We didn't. We had such a wet year planting season. I didn't start planting beans till the middle of June. Oh my goodness! And I went to, with four or five to some early fives, and I had one of the better bean crops I've had in a while. It was unbelievable. It, it was, we were tickled. I mean, we never did expect that to happen. Uh, it was very, uh, very blessed. Okay. So you say this winter has been really dry and it's unusual. Does that make anybody nervous or it's, or are you thinking, ah, come on, we're in Louisiana, the rain's coming? Well, usually that's what we say. Come on, we're in Louisiana. Here come the rain's not far behind. Um, <laughs> it is a little. You're looking at long range forecast, and right now we have plenty of moisture to get the corn planted. I'm not concerned about that at all. It's what's going to happen in in April and in, in May. That's what gives me a little concern. Um, but normally, hopefully, the showers will come and uh, and, and just keep going. I, I don't want too much rain like that last year. We're kind of on the opposite end. It is a little drier, but I will take a little drier than uh, too much water. Sure, sure. All right, uh, back to that wheat crop. You say you put a few more acres in the normal, which you're right. That's a, that was a great move this year, no doubt about that. Uh, what kind of yields do you pull off in Louisiana with wheat? We can anywhere from 60 to 75 to 80 bushels. That That's what you're shooting for. Wow, and so then you get to plant a soybean and, and, crop after that. That's probably going to yield correct. that much as well. Correct, correct. That that's uh, and the wheat. It's this year. Like I tell people around here, if we, I'll be more surprised if we cut forty bushel wheat than if we cut seventy bushel wheat. If it looks, it just looks that that good. I, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but the today where we're sitting at, it, it looks the best wheat crop I've had in a decade. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, we don't get many years when we're farming to, to actually make decent money. So hopefully this is one of those years for you, David, that that would be pretty good. Okay. Uh, last question for you, fertilizer. And I know everybody in the North is like, ah, we're so far away from the ports and, and all this stuff. And our prices sometimes are kind of out of whack and, and really high. I'm assuming fertilizer prices are ridiculous for you too. Yeah, we uh, actually I priced some yesterday because it's changing weekly. It's not it's not daily. I can't put a budget together just because of fertilizer prices. Uh, but just like um, urea is looking at eight hundred and fifty dollars a ton right now. You have uh, just potash a ton is uh, eight hundred and forty dollars. Uh, ammonium sulfate is seven hundred and fifty dollars. And um, we're using the liquid starter we use is um, $940 for the liquid starter fertilizer we use. In <laughs> wow, it's highway and robbery. It, it, it is. And um, for the first time on the week this year, I actually, it was so expensive, I paid the extra $80, $90 a ton to treat it with like the, or use a super U. Sure. But if sure. I'm going to have that much money out there in the field, I'm going to protect it. And it's, it's worth the investment for me. And yeah. as a matter of fact, it might be a common practice for me here on now. Yeah, because that protection didn't go up the same percentage the fertilizer did, so uh, it, it's, exactly. it's a lot more affordable this year. No, hey, that's a good idea. I'm glad you threw that out there. That's a good tip, David. Yeah, and and I think our fertilizer we're gonna on corn. I'm a nickel and dime the fertilizer, especially we have a lot of irrigated, but some of the dry land we're gonna get our nitrogen out our at source when we need to, and then we're gonna watch. If like you said, if it turns off dry over here. There's, you know, there's no use me going with any more nitrogen because my yields will be limited. But if it looks like it's going to start getting some rain, I'll fly some more nitrogen on in about sure. two weeks before tasseling or something. Sure. Well, uh, I, it was great talking to you today, David. You got a lot of a lot of awesome information and some really good tips here. And plus, uh, knowing that I'm coming to Louisiana and that there may be corn going in the ground, uh, I love the sound of that too. So good luck to you. Hopefully the weather holds for you. Hopefully it turns out to be a great week so you can get that, that corn planter started next week. Well, thank you, and I hope you enjoy your trip down to Louisiana. You bet. Thanks a lot, David. We really appreciate that. Uh, got an email that came in from India, and I wanted to get to that here before we ran out of time today. Uh, this one came from Kunal, who said, I'm, I'm growing grapes over in India, and I'm sending you uh, not only soil tests, but also my irrigation water tests. And uh, the irrigation water test says, says it's coming from a well uh, so that, that kind of changes thinking versus a, a public water source. And just looking at the water quality, it looks like uh, it's pretty high in calcium and magnesium so pre- and sodium, actually. So it's pretty hard water. Uh, so for for us, we, we we're always thinking about well, what's coming in the water, and that's certainly what's going to turn into uh, your soil and your crops. So you are putting a lot of calcium and magnesium out there, and you are putting a lot of sodium. So I'm going to be watching that in your soils. Now, our soil pH is just shy of 8, so that's a little bit on the high side. We would like to get that down, and we could certainly move that down by adding a little more sulfur. It looks like we've got some sulfur out there, though. Uh, but but a little more might not hurt. I'm curious on the soil test what the nutrient extraction method was because some of the readings are just a little bit different than than the tests that we would see here in the United States. Uh, so I, I would just look at uh, your manganese and iron look a little bit low to me where you may benefit from some additional micronutrient applications. Your copper is high, which I think is generally pretty good in grapes. So not, not totally dissatisfied with where those micronutrients 
nutrients are at. Um, but but certainly I, I don't understand the test exactly and what testing methods there were. Uh, there, there are extraction methods called Malik here and Bray for phosphorus and so forth, Kunal. So maybe if you could find out what those testing methods were, we'd be really curious to see what those are as well. Hey, thanks for the email and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.